This is Lab Medicine Rounds, a curated podcast for physicians, laboratory professionals, and students. I'm your host, Justin Kreuter, the Bowtie Bandit of Blood, a transfusion medicine pathologist at Mayo Clinic. Today, we're rounding with Dr. Philip Hurst, a resident in the Division of Anatomic and Clinical Pathology here at Mayo Clinic, to discuss the residency interview process. So for some of our audience, our students are really going to want to be listening to this episode, but those of you that are faculty, staff doing interviews at your place, I think this will be a relevant podcast for you as well. So thanks for joining us today, Dr. Hurst. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about this. I love talking about this process with applicants and hopefully others will find it helpful. (laughs) Absolutely. So you and I uh, actually had lunch earlier today and started bantering about this topic quite a bit. I wonder if we could kind of reel off and kind of start into this and, you know, why is it so challenging to ask questions in an interview? Yeah. And, you know, like you said, after we talked about it today at lunch, I feel like it it is complicated and it is challenging and there could be a million different ways to answer this question. But I think one of the things that comes to my mind, specifically in the residency interview process, is that it can sometimes feel very overwhelming and daunting to ask questions at multiple interviews in a day, multiple interviews in a season. And I feel like you do sort of get a little bit of fatigue from asking questions sometimes. I think something that we talked about and something that I think is a really good point is you can ask the same question to multiple different interviewers in the same day and kind of coast with that a little bit. But I also, something that I think is really important and I wanted to point out from when I was interviewing was I often felt like I would kind of go blank. People would say, oh, what questions do you have? And I'd like freeze up on the spot because you're nervous, you're anxious. And so I would start taking not a big paper, but like a little note card or a post-it note and just jotting down a few questions. And I'd pull it out in the interview and say, you know, I've got got my little cheat sheet. Can I ask some questions? And, And nobody was ever mad about that. Nobody ever was ever bothered by the fact that I did that. So I think that can be a really helpful tool. And then my other point is that not every question has to be specifically related to the program or the workday or the mechanics of the ins and outs of the curriculum. You know, interviews are just as much about the applicant feeling like they're finding a place for them to work, that they're comfortable in, a nice environment. They want to know that the people they're working with are personable. So you can ask questions about what people like to do in the city, what the hospital's like, why did the consultant or why did the attending or the resident, why did they stay there? So I think those are all good things to keep in mind when you're working through which questions to ask. That's a great point. I like the idea of being prepared and pulling out the sheet and having those questions. For those of us like you talk about, you know, drawing a blank and things like that, you just said a few of them, but maybe could you kind of uh, re kind of go over maybe, you know, what are a few aspects that somebody can ask about? Yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of resources for this online. And so I don't really want to beat the dead horse or reiterate things that people are going to find in other places. But a lot of the information, or at least the basic information about a program, whatever specialty, you know, pathology or otherwise, you're going to get from looking at websites, you're going to get from talking to the residents in the meet and greets or the virtual lunches or whatever. I think it's really important to get an idea of what life's going to be like in this new place. It's someplace you're going to live for three to seven years or more. Don't feel like you can't ask some of those more personal questions. When I was a medical student, one of my mentors, Dr. Jeffrey Voss at West Virginia University, 
he was telling me about the stereotype of pathologists being antisocial. And he said, that's just not true. He said, if anything, pathologists are a group of specialists that spend more time together than most other medical specialties. So you've got to like the people you're working with. So I think it's okay to take some time during your interviews to ask questions about that. What's life like within the workplace? What was your process when you made your list, that cheat sheet, like the actual how or doing mm-hmm. of, of formulating a question? What was your approach there? That's a really good question. And I think most of what I did, most of those notes that I took on my little note card, most of them came from the interview process. I didn't necessarily, sometimes, but I didn't necessarily write those questions down in advance of the interview. I would go based off of the, you know, oftentimes there's a PowerPoint or a little bit of a talk with the program director or somebody who gives you a little background on the program, a background on the curriculum. So I would sort of try to hone in on things that stood out to me as different. You know, what was something unique to this program that maybe I haven't heard of before? Because those are the easiest things to really ask about because you are gonna get different information than maybe you get from a different program. So in order to do good role modeling, uh, just like when I interview, I usually kind of flip it around at a halfway point and ask, you know, are there any questions that you have of me? Maybe I flip this around now and Dr. Hurst, are there any questions that you have for me? <laughs> yeah, I do have some questions for you, actually, Dr. Kreuter. So you mentioned what questions can we prepare as applicants? I'm curious to know what questions you've gotten in the past, either ones that you think were really good and kind of insightful, or maybe even some ones that you thought were a little questionable, (laughs) no pun intended, but maybe something that applicants might try to avoid if they're going through this process now. (laughs) Yeah. So the ones that stand out to me are the ones where it's really, um, I think what a lot of us learn in medical school, the open-ended questions, the ones that are really asking for a story. After all, that's what I try to ask for my interviewees because that's what helps me build an understanding of who they are. I think similarly, things that are going to be open-ended questions for me as a faculty member, let me show who we are as a program. Tell me about how has the program changed in recent years, or tell me what was your most favorite thing that happened to you here at Mayo Clinic in the last uh, month? Or what was the most surprising thing when you moved to Rochester, Minnesota? All those things naturally lead to a story, not a simple yes or no kind of question. So I think those are the better questions that I really feel really happy and joyful answering. Not the bad questions, but I think this kind of gets to your earlier point about the complexity of it is sometimes I get questions that really are not mine to answer. And what I mean by that is, for example, although I'm on the interview team here at Mayo Clinic for residency, I'm not in program leadership. I am for my fellowship program, but not for the residency program. So, you know, if you ask me about what are the priorities for the residency program right now, I'm not really necessarily up on what is those big steps, as opposed to if you ask our program director or one of the associate program directors, they'll be able to rattle very informative answer. Usually when I get those, I just kind of explain how, well, I'm not dodging your question. It's just that I don't really know the answer to that question. I encourage you to to ask our program director or one of the associate program directors. Usually I'll look on their list and point out who they're interviewing 
interviewing with that is in program leadership that can answer those kinds of questions because i think that is a lot for an interviewee to know like who is going to know about that I think that's a really good point. And in fact, like you mentioned, we talked a little bit about that earlier, and it kind of even brought some awareness to me, even having gone through this process of maybe how you could strategize a little bit more on, you know, who you ask which questions. For more laboratory education, including a listing of conferences, webinars, and on-demand content, visit mailcliniclabs.com forward slash education. But going back to your first part of the answer, I think that's great. Those are wonderful examples of kind of what I was getting at about asking questions not necessarily related to the mechanics of the program, because a lot of those questions are going to be answered in the website and by the residents. So when you ask something a little bit more broad, a little more personable, it gives an opportunity to not only learn more about the interviewer, but create more of a dialogue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So from your perspective as an interviewer, what do you think makes for a positive experience? I mean, I know you just said kind of that conversational aspect, but are there any other things that you think either interviewers in your position or applicants can do to sort of help create that positive experience? Yeah, I think that I realize this is almost like a false thing, but I think that as interviewers, we need to do the best that we possibly can to create a safe environment. Because I think for the interviewee to be in a place where they feel like they can thrive and talk about things honestly, this is how we can possibly see our applicants in their very best. And I think that that's how we can get a true as possible read on how somebody deals with challenging situations and things like that. So I don't want to make the interview <laughs> challenging. I want to make the interview very pleasant and uh, I want to hear about those challenges. So I understand that you've been challenged and, and how did you overcome those challenges? And I think to talk about those things, honestly, because a lot of times there's elements of failure in that, like we need it to kind of be that safe place. So the way I do that personally as an interview is I usually set up and I pull out my black book and got your notes here, Philip, from when I interviewed <laughs> you. Yeah, I've got my little Jedi training manual here, black book, where I write down my notes and I tell the applicants that, hey, you know, I'm here to be your advocate. I want to hear your stories so that I can advocate for you as we're doing our selection and making our rank list and such. These stories, these are what really matter. I can understand why somebody might be moved higher than myself in a rank order list if that person really has dealt with some really challenging situations and managed themselves and learned from those situations. I think likewise, you mentioned on the applicant side, I, I think I'd really want to encourage applicants to really approach these interviews from an honest point of view. It seems as if somebody is trying to portray something in some way. And honestly, it can come off just odd and weird at certain times. And I think that can make programs a little unsure about who somebody is. And I think that can hurt somebody in the long run for where are they going to appear on that rank list, especially as there might be wild inconsistencies with how somebody's behaving with one kind of interviewer versus another. And so I think just doing your best uh, as an interviewer to show up and just be your honest self and let that speak for itself. Yeah, I think that's such a great point. And we did talk about that a little bit earlier, too, where not only could it potentially impact your rank, but 
also, let's say it didn't. Let's say you match at a program where you portrayed this version that you thought the program was looking for, and then you get in, and, and now all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, did I find the program that was the best fit for me in so much as the personalities I'm working with? But then also, do I have to continue to portray this version of myself that I created for an interview that, you know, maybe isn't compatible with who I am? So I, I think that's paramount in this process is being yourself and letting other people see that personality, because that's ultimately going to help you find your best fit for you and for the program. I totally agree. I think that's a brilliant point to highlight. I don't know if we mentioned that at the beginning of our recording, but you did interview me for residency and it was one of my favorite interviews. It was impactful in my decision to rank Mayo as highly as I did. And coming from a position where I had a red flag, I'm using air quotes because I don't really like that term, but I had a, a shortcoming and speaking to other interviewers, when you're addressing these things, be mindful that sometimes these are, you know, tough things for people to talk about or can be emotional. And so creating a space where you're not making them feel inadequate or making them feel condescended for discussing these things can be very helpful. And, and you did just that. You were very empathetic and patient and you were willing to listen to my story. And I think that's something that we can all take away from this is just the willingness to listen and hear what people are saying, both inter interviewers and applicants. I think the highlight on that is that I don't know what to make of a red flag. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think, yeah, you and I were talking about this as, at lunch, like uh, here's something that I think red flag you might code as some failure at some point, but uh, that doesn't mean anything about did somebody learn from that situation? Did they change their process? That's the biggest thing I think that's significant about finding certainly we want to find people that have gone through challenging situations and I want to understand how do they meet those challenges. That's really important to me because to, to me, that's what makes a red flag either be a plus, which honestly, in your case, uh, Philip, right, <laughs> was a, a huge plus in my book for you, literally. It showed me that, you know, you met a challenging situation, you learned from it, you've adapted to it, and you're a much better person today for that experience, as opposed to if when I had interviewed you, you didn't learn anything from the situation. You haven't changed anything. You're not going to change. Right. I mean, that's what makes it, uh, okay, this is who we are as a person, right? It makes the interview, that's the point of the interview is to learn is, is are you that type of person I'm looking for or not? And challenges in and of themselves do not carry that meaning of delta plus or delta minus. And I think that's a great illustration of when you're going through this process, if you've been offered an interview, at least this is the way, this is what I told myself as an applicant. If you've been offered the interview, the program already thinks you're qualified to fill a position. So you have to really just use that interview as an opportunity to take advantage of the time they're giving you to show them that you'd be a good fit for their team and to be a good addition to their work environment. You want to make sure that you're being as authentic as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Give me these stories to fill my black book. <laughs> so Phil, let me ask you, is there a tip you want to convey to all medical students interviewing for pathology residency? Is it to write thank you notes? <laughs> the ever controversial point. I will not tell anybody whether or not I think they should write thank you notes. What I will say is that I did not 
I think I'm probably in the minority. Um, I did not write thank you notes. I was told it should not in any scenario affect your rank. Whether it does to some people, I cannot pretend to say, but I, I decided to believe in the fairness of the system. And so I chose not to, but you got to do what, <laughs> what makes you feel the most comfortable. Be true to yourself. I guess my overall advice would just be in a lot of ways, what we've already talked about, be true to yourself. And then when it comes down to creating a rank list, I think there's important elements, both in the practical aspects of finding a program. You know, you do want to make sure that the curriculum and the fellowship opportunities and the way that the rotations are structured, you want to make sure those are compatible with the way you think you'll be the best learner. But then I think there is a little bit of gut feeling or, or listening to your heart involved. And so use the experiences you have on your interview days, use those relationships you built in the interviews to help kind of guide you make that final decision. Uh, it's, uh, I think, a brilliant advice for everybody applying, and I think that's evergreen material as well, where we can continue to, to share out your words of wisdom in this podcast for future years as well. So thank you for rounding with us. Dr. Philip Hurst, talking about the residency interview process. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Dr. Kreuter. It was a pleasure. To all of our listeners, thank you for joining us today. We invite you to share your thoughts and suggestions via email. Please direct any suggestions to mcleducation at mayo.edu. If you've enjoyed Lab Medicine Rounds podcast, please follow or subscribe. Until our next rounds together, we encourage you to continue to connect lab medicine and the clinical practice through insightful conversations, and we wish you a wonderful pathology match. Mm -hmm.